One of these times when Tony brings out my desk, I'm just going to have him preach. I'm just going to be like, you got it, man. Go for it. Oh, I'll give him fair warning. I'll, like 10 minutes before service, I'll be like, you're preaching, man. You're preaching. Well, um, we're continuing our hero series. Last week, we talked about uh, Rahab, right? And the, and the spies and, and, and how God used her. And we've kind of been fairly following a, a chronological order. We talked about Moses in, in that Moses series. And then um, they come into the promised land and Caleb is there. Um, and we talked about Caleb and then we talked about Rahab last week. Well, today we're going to talk about what happens after Joshua's death, after they take the promised land. That's about in the year 1245 BC. And when Joshua dies, a leadership vacuum opens up in Israel. Who's our leader? We had Moses. We had really strong leaders. We had Moses. We had Joshua. Caleb was there. And suddenly their leadership is gone. And for the next 300 years, the nation of Israel descended into this era of tribalism. You think about how long 300 years is. That's older than we are as a nation. 300 years, this, they, they descend into this tribalism, also kind of almost like martial law that takes over. Each one of the tribes of Israel is fighting for its own interests, um, whether that meant fighting with or against Canaanite nations that are around them, even fighting against their own Israelite brothers and other tribes. They would war with each other to get uh, influence and power. And as a matter of fact, it led to some terrible massacres. At one point after the story we're going to talk about today, the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out. Over 46,000 men killed. So, so this, this was, there were these massacres that would occur within the tribes, this power struggle that occurred. And so these three centuries became known as the era of the judges. And uh, it was really just a series of disasters that were this kind of whirlpool that kept going down as moral decay pulled the nation down and it was punctuated by these moments where God would intervene and bring deliverance. But really it was just a pattern that was really destructive. It would be kind of Israel adopting the paganism and the immorality of the neighbors around them and they would descend into this and so God would allow them to be handed over to their enemies and they would be oppressed by the people around them and their oppression would lead to an awakening. They'd go, God, help us! And so God would raise up a leader, a judge, and it wasn't like Judge Wapner or something like that. This, this was different. He would raise up a leader and put his spirit upon them and they would bring freedom from the enemy's shackles and moral healing to a degree, moral healing to the, to the land. And, uh, but the reality was this time period was not good. It was, uh, it, a lot of these were just tragedies that were wrapped in moments of victory. And, and so um, at one of these points, there was a judge by the name of Jer. And he died in the year 996 BC, which was followed by just this massive wave of anarchy and idolatry. And, uh, and the nation just really descended. And for nearly, nearly two decades, Israel experienced this oppression at the hands of an ancient nation called Ammon. And Ammon came in and they were oppressing the Israelites and God allowed this to happen. And so in Judges chapter 10, Israel again calls out to the Lord for relief. This is kind of that pattern that we were talking about. So they call out to the Lord and, and the Israelites were in great distress, it says. And so uh, finally they cried out to the Lord for help saying, We have sinned against you because we have abandoned you as our God and we have served the images of Baal. But note that in this particular cycle... God's response is different. In this particular cycle, God's response is different. Um, God says, okay, I rescued you from all these nations, and yet you have abandoned me and served other gods. 
So, I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. God had had it. God was like, I know what's going to happen here. I know this pattern. And so even though Israel's crying out for help, God refuses, saying that they're continued returning to idols um, for, deliver, for looking for deliverance indicates that they hadn't really repented. They get deliverance, they go right back. And he's saying, I see this pattern. So God suggests that they go cry out to their idols for help. He's like, you, you've made your bed. Go cry out to the idols that you, you are depending on. Ask them for help. And uh, I, kind of the sarcasm of God. I appreciate God's sense of humor sometimes. And uh, God knows the human heart so well, though. He knows how often our cries for deliverance are really birthed from the pain and discomfort we're feeling from our sin's repercussions rather than from a truly repentant heart. God saw the Israelites' heart. He goes, that's not true repentance. You're not happy with the repercussions of your sin. And so let me tell you, I don't know where you stand on corporal punishment, um, and I really don't want to get in that debate publicly right now, but I will just tell you that as a child, I grew up receiving the occasional spanking. And uh, Proverbs twenty nine fifteen says that to discipline a child produces wisdom. And uh, with the number of spankings ironed, I was probably the wisest child in all the area. A lot of wisdom handed my way. And uh, at the end of every opportunity I had to gain that wisdom, my dad would say, now let's pray together. And we would pray together uh, to pray that God would teach me about my actions and that the discipline I received would be a reminder and a building block for becoming a quality young man. And, and so I learned as a very young child that, that the prayer meant that the end of the spanking had happened. And so I would shout when the first paddle came down, pray, daddy, pray. Because I wanted the pain to go away. I didn't want the discomfort. I, I didn't like the consequences of what I was dealing with. Um, the, the, I, wanted, I, 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 I was not necessarily grieved by my choices. I was upset with the consequences I was dealing with. And this is what God saw in Israel. They're going, I don't like these consequences. Save us, God. But God doesn't want to just be our Savior. He wants to be our Lord. See, true sorrow, godly sorrow, is marked by repentance. That's the key word. Godly sorrow is marked by repentance. Realizing that we haven't just sinned, sinned against the law, but we have sinned against love. Let me tell you, if I hurt my wife, if I say something, if I do something that hurts my wife, what grieves me most is that I broke her heart more than the fact I broke some sort of unspoken rule in the relationship. Do you hear what I'm saying? In the same way, when we sin, we need to be grieved by our sin, not because we broke the law so much as we have sinned against love. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And so the Israelites were experiencing worldly sorrow, I think God saw. He was going, I don't buy it. Go back to the gods that you were praying to. See, see how that works out for you. Um, but we're called to repentance, to turn the other way. Repentance literally means to turn on your heel and walk the other, the other way. The other day I was at Fred Meyer, and I literally stopped as I was walking in because I looked up in the sky, and I saw this jet's contrail in the sky. And I thought, what did someone forget here? 
did someone forget to close the garage door? Or, or like, I left the iron on. Oh, man. I, I, I wonder, like, how many people's day was just ruined right in that moment? They're like, we're supposed to be in L.A. But that's what repentance is. It's going one direction and saying, no, I'm going to go the other way. I'm not just feeling bad about the way I'm going. I'm not just seeing, oh, this doesn't feel right. It's saying, I'm going to turn on my heel and go back the way I was going. I'm going to, I'm going to correct and, and change the direction I'm moving. That's what repentance is. Repentance literally is changing course. I like what Leonard Ravenhill says about it. He says, repentance is to leave the sin I've done before and showing I'm grieved by doing it no more. That's what repentance is. Not returning to the sin. Now, let me tell you, this doesn't mean that God doesn't use our pain as a wake-up call for our souls. Pain is definitely a quick wake-up call. That's why I think that those spankings eventually landed. Well, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm done receiving spankings from my parents. That's a, uh, that's a good thing. But let me tell you that those, those moments of pain were a wake-up call for me. And God uses pain as a wake-up call for us. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, pain insists on being attended to. Let me tell you, when you're walking with a pebble in your shoe... Do you keep walking with that pebble in your shoe? Even if you're in a rush, you're like, I got to stop. I got to take care. I got to address this. He says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God allows pain to to get our, our soul's attention. How many of us in this room could probably say at some point, I've gone through a season of pain where God's been getting my attention. I've gone through a season where there's been a shakeup, where there's been hurt, where there's uh, been something that's just shaken me to my core and God's getting my attention. You see, God, in this moment, he sees the pain that Israel is experiencing and the text says that he's moved, not by their full repentance, but rather by their misery. He looks at the misery that they're in and, 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 and he responds to this. And so it's into this suffering that our hero we're going to talk about today was born, a man by the name of Jephthah. And uh, when we were getting ready to put this series together, I asked my staff, come to staff meeting with some ideas for heroes we can talk about. And I think their goal was just to stump Pastor Brent. They're like, let's get some bizarre names no one knows anything about and uh, see if he can figure something out here. So, so Jephthah was on the list. He's actually in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Heroes. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about God's raising up of Jephthah here. And Jephthah's story is really one of the most challenging sections of scripture in the Bible. Um, it's a Greek tragedy in some ways. It's, uh, it's really a, a difficult story, and, in, uh, and there's a lot of areas that scholars still don't agree. And we'll kind of talk about that momentarily. It's not going to be the focus of what we're talking about today. But there are some things that uh, scholars still can't fully agree on in this story. But in Judges 11, starting in verse 1, it says this through verse 3. Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when, those, or when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. So Jephthah is chased out of his homeland by his half-brothers. Kind of a, an interesting blended family here. Not a great dynamic. And he is viewed as less than because uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he's got this background of being an illegitimate child, in essence, in this family. And so uh, Jephthah is run off the land, but he gains this reputation as this like 
as a warrior. He's kind of a Robin Hood type character, it sounds like. He's got this, this, uh, this group of bandits that, are, that they're fighting for everything they have. And because they fight for everything they have, he gains a reputation as a warrior. He gains a reputation as someone who can fight, who can earn their, their keep and things like that. So, so this is the background of Jephthah. And so continuing on in verse 4, it says that about this time, the Ammonites, and everyone boos and hisses, boo, began their war against Israel. And when the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. They're honest. That's good. It's not like because we we like you. It's because we need you. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So the people travel to Tob. They find Jephthah and his merry men out in the woods there and they offer him leadership, right? They say, if you help us, um, We'll make you king. He says, do you swear it? They say, we swear it. He says, let's go into the presence of God and I want you to swear it. So they go into the presence of God and they swear it. And Jephthah goes from being this outcast of society, this, this man of illegitimate origins, to being elevated as this leader. In Judges eleven twenty nine, a little further on, it says, at that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. You see, God elevates his anointed. God elevates his anointed. You may have been placed in a category. You may have been given a certain label or a name. You, you have been, may have been told you have a ceiling and this is it. This is all you'll ever be. This is all you can ever be. Our qualifier is not what people say about us. Our qualifier is the anointing of God. Not the accreditation of man. Not the accreditation of an organization. God is our, our, our anointing and our qualifier. And in Acts chapter 10, it tells us that God is no respecter of persons. Now, when you hear that, that sounds kind of weird. You're like, God doesn't respect people. No, that's not what it means. It means that God doesn't, a person's job title doesn't stir God. He's like, oh, they're vice president of such and such, such and such. Oh, I didn't realize who I was dealing with. Their celebrity, the number of followers on their socials, the degrees on their wall. God is no respecter of the things that people look at and go, that's value. That's who they are. But God, uh, God looks at the heart, Scripture tells us. God elevates who he chooses. And so God chooses his presence to fall on this man named Jephthah, who was an outcast. However, despite the spirit of the Lord falling upon Jephthah and the anointing that's put upon him, he makes a foolish vow. He makes a tragic vow. In verse 30, it says, So Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord Whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Wow. I don't know what he thought was coming out of his house. What do you expect is going to come out the front door? But, but let me tell you, spirit empowerment, this is important we understand this. Spirit, spirit empowerment and anointing don't remove our human responsibility. 
Sometimes people have a, a calling on their life. God has put his presence on them. Let me tell you, it doesn't remove the fact that we have a responsibility to wisdom, that we have a responsibility to, to responding in, 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 in right thinking and making wise choices. And so there's weight behind the vows that we make. And there's weight behind what Jephthah just did. Here's what Jesus says about vows in Matthew chapter 5. He says, I think he might have been thinking of this story when he said this. He said, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Don't say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And don't say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And don't say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Some of us would be like, I wish I could turn a whole lot of gray hairs black right now, or whatever it might be. He says, we can't do that by wishing it. Because just as, he says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. There's so little we have power over. Making big promises, big guarantees that we cannot even follow through on. Even things that seem simple. We have so little control over. And so Jephthah was in the situation where he was after victory at any cost. Uh, the famous uh, Green Bay Packers coach, Vince Lombardi, you've probably heard this quote before. He said, winning isn't everything. Winning is the only thing. And that's exactly, I think, what Jephthah was doing. He was doing whatever it took to get his victory. And his victory is exactly what they got. The Israelites routed the Ammonites, but then Jephthah returns home. In verse 34, it says, So then when Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. And she was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You have brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Again, there's speculation on what Jephthah thought would come out of his door. Maybe he had a, a goat or a lamb that would always run out the door. Maybe he thought it would be a servant. I don't know what he thought was going to come. But it's his daughter that comes out the front door, and he's devastated. And here's where there's a division in what scholars uh, believe. I, I did a lot of research and a lot of reading, and, and it really didn't bring me any much more clarity. Some theologians and rabbis say that the original language actually suggests that Jephthah's original oath to the Lord stated that the one who comes to meet me at the door, I will consecrate to the Lord or I will offer him a burnt offering. They say the language is pretty loose here in the, in the original language, and it could be either, and that would explain some of the further parts where um, when, when, when Jephthah's daughter mourns that she will never have children, that she'll never have a relationship. She's not mourning her own death. She's mourning that she won't have children. And so some, many scholars would explain it that way, um, that, that, that his daughter was his only child, it says, his lineage, his legacy. And so she was sent, in essence, kind of like when Hannah devoted Samuel to the Lord. She was sent to live in like a convent-type situation for the Lord. But, but there's, what the scripture really seems to clearly indicate is she is clearly sacrificed in the fire. And so whichever direction you want to take, whichever understanding you want to take, it's, I want you to, first of all, understand Scripture is clear. God abhors human sacrifice. Um, in Jeremiah 7.31 and 10.5 and 32.35, he, it said, talks about how he abhors, abhors human sacrifice. He actually forbids it in Exodus 32.31. And uh, we know the story of Abraham and Isaac. And how Abraham brought Isaac up onto the hill and God told him to sacrifice Isaac. But then he stops him right before he does, right? And he's, he says, I'm going to provide the sacrifice. There's a ram in the thicket, right? And the, there's several points that are to this story. The main one is he wants Abraham to learn to trust God. God knows everything. God knew what Abraham's response would be. 
God wanted to teach Abraham to trust him, but he also wanted to demonstrate to Abraham, I am not like any of these other gods around you. Human sacrifice was very natural in that world. That was how all the other gods were worshipped, was through uh, giving up something that was dear and loved to you to earn the love of a god. And God was telling Abraham, that's not who I am. I'm the one who provides for you. All this to say, this sacrifice that, 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 that Jephthah had to come, across, come and do, the sacrifice of his daughter, was not endorsed by God. It was not an evil action that God said, you have to do this. The bottom line is this. Jephthah's daughter died at the hands of her own father, not at the hand of God. And so it's a tragic story. Whatever, whatever way you look at it, it's tragic. And Jephthah's failing is here. This is where it ends up. His failing was believing that he brought something to the victory, that he needed to su- supply something for the victory that was already God's. The win, the victory was already God's. It wasn't something that Jephthah had to earn or, or pitch in for. He, he had this transactional view of God. And what he had done was taken on the view of the world around him. You see, all the other gods in the pagan world around him were this transactional relationship. Do you need rain? Make a sacrifice. Do you need children? Bring a gift. Bring an offering. Do you need victory in battle? Do this, and maybe the gods will help us. Do you need a strong harvest? You need to do this. And so Jephthah was influenced by this, saying, I will convince God for victory by bringing in what I can offer. And he had this transactional view of God. But what we bring to the transaction is nothing. What God does is everything. We need to understand that. What we bring in the transaction with God for our salvation, what we bring to the table is, is filthy rags, the Bible tells us. And when it says rags, it's talking about a, a sanitary type situation. What we bring to God is disgusting and and. and undesirable. But what God brings is everything. Salvation comes entirely by God's power and God's grace. It's not what we can earn with better behavior. Jesus alone is what gives us the victory. Jesus alone is what sets us free from sin. It's not saying, God, if you help me out and forgive some sins, I will do A, B, and C. Or if you can really get me out of this situation, I will give you this and that. Let me tell you, this is an easy trap we can get into. Kind of a karmaic view of God. If I'm this, maybe God will help me with this. If I can do that, maybe God will help me with that. Paul David Tripp said this as our band returns to the stage, if they would. He says, sin or since sin is deeper than bad behavior, trying to do better isn't a solution. Only grace that changes the heart can rescue us. Some of us feel like if when I get to a certain point of goodness in my life, God can forgive me. How many of us have ever heard that or thought that? If I can correct enough in my life, I've heard people tell me many times before, Pastor Brent, I'll come to church, I'll come to the Lord when I get some things in order in my life. I've got to clean some things up before I come to God. That's not how we're called to come to God. We bring nothing to the transition or to the transaction. It is God and His grace that rescues us and saves us. It's God giving His love and grace when we ultimately deserve His wrath. So let me ask you this morning, have you been trying to escape consequences rather than dealing with your sin like the israelites were with the people around them the nations around them they were trying to escape the consequences of what their sin had led them to and you're in discomfort it's not a happy place and you're going god rescue me from this but there hasn't actually been repentance it's you want relief and this morning 
you recognize, man, I've been seeking relief from my, what my sin has brought on me. I haven't been seeking God's forgiveness. Maybe you've been trying to make deals with God. Saying, God, if you do X, Y, and Z, if you help me out with this, then I will do this. If you help me out with this, then I will be the best little Christian you have ever seen, Lord. You see, when we try to insert our promises and our guarantees into salvation, it falls apart because we bring nothing to the equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And to recognize our own brokenness, and that's what we need healed. It's through Jesus that we have wholeness. It comes through full surrender. And so this morning, I want to invite you into this place of saying, Jesus, this morning I need to surrender to you fully. So if you're in this room this morning and maybe you have been in an uncomfortable place, there's been that pain where God's maybe trying to get your attention in the, in the discomfort, but you've been seeking the relief from the pain, the relief from the discomfort rather than the repentance of a broken heart saying, I need forgiveness, I need restoration, I need you, Jesus. And so this morning, you recognize that, that, that brokenness of soul. You recognize that you need a savior and that's you in this room right now. It's not what you can bring to the table, but it's what he can do in you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high with me. Raise it. I want to pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? These? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Hands across the room. Thank you, Father. You can put your hands down. Lord, right now, I believe that you speak through our pain to awaken our souls to bring our awareness to our need for a savior not that we're just to seek the relief from the 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 discomfort from what the world is uh bringing around us but rather to draw us back to the father so right now with those that raise their hands to say i need to be repentant broken in spirit for the sin that has separated me from God. I have not sinned just against the law. I have sinned against love. And Jesus, I need a broken heart for what I've done. I recognize my own sin. I recognize how I have uh, sinned against the God of creation in this morning. I need you to forgive me. This morning, church, I want us to pray this prayer together. Repeat it after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you came for me. You died for me in my lost and broken state. And I have sinned against you. My sin has separated us. And I've broken your heart. So I ask for your forgiveness, Jesus. I come with true repentance, a turnaround. A change, not returning to the sin, but moving forward with you. So today I declare you as my Lord, and I declare you as my Savior. Forgive me, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, perhaps some of us have had kind of this transactional view of God, and it's 
put us in a weird situation because now we're looking at all the things of cause and response with our relationship with God. Well, did this go bad? Well, it must have been this. And if I do this, maybe God can do this. And we need to have a restored understanding and view of who God is. A restored understanding of that the God is seeking the good for us the, who are called according to his purpose. And so, so when we uh, walk through valleys, when we go through difficult times, it's not just God putting his smite bolts down on us trying to zap us. But rather, there's relationship that's being formed here. There's development as God is working in us. And to change that understanding of who God is. And maybe you're in the room right now and you've kind of had this tumultuous relationship with God because you've gone through difficult times and you felt like there must be some sort of causation response situation and maybe you've tried to bring things into the relationship and it's solely that relationship it's it's messed up the relationship with God because you're trying to inject your own stuff to try to make things better and it's frustrated you and it's angered you and it's maybe made you angry at God don't you see what I've done for you God don't you see how I've done this and this for you God and it's not making sense let me tell you it's time to have a perspective change a paradigm shift and who who God is and how we understand he relates to us so this morning if maybe you're in, in the house and you've had this frustrated relationship with God this back and forth and you feel like I keep trying to bring these things to the relationship and God says that's not what I'm asking you to do I'm not asking you to sacrifice whatever pops up so that you get favor with me. You already have my favor. Let's have relationship. So this morning, I want to pray with you if you're in this room and you've had maybe a... (laughs) There's relationship issues with you and the Lord. There's There's been things that you don't understand. There's been perhaps deep deep hurt that you've experienced and you feel like that's because of some sort of x y or z but god says even though you don't understand i am in control trust me with this so this morning if you are in a place where you've been trying to solve the hurts solve how to get the victories trying to put a formula together and it's been frustrating your relationship with god and rather than just Loving the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. You've been trying to work out deals with God. And you say, I need to lay this down and just serve the Lord with all I have. I need a restoration of relationship. If that's you in this room, I want to pray with you. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just raise your hand while I pray. Lord, I pray with those in this room right now. Maybe you've had a frustrated relationship with God. There's been relationships that are broken. There's been things that just don't feel like they make sense and misunderstandings. Lord, I pray that you would heal brokenness, broken hearts. That God, you would start to express, that they would start to, we would start to begin to understand the relationship with you as, as a father and their child, as, as, as not uh, some sort of karmaic uh, response. But Lord, out of your love, you seek for the good for us. And Lord, even in the times of brokenness, we would fall into your arms rather than going, where did I go wrong? What do I need to do? Jesus, I pray for restoration of souls, broken hearts in this room right now, that the healer would enter in. The healer would enter in right now. Speak life. We would, we would stop pursuing, earning something from you, God, but we would just know you have done it all. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. This morning we're going to do our connection cards, and Hosanna's going to lead us in that.
week, earlier this week, Brent told me a funny story about um, these two guys who were like going back and forth doing favors for each other. Like it started with exchanging a cup of coffee and then uh, in return, someone gave someone a fruit basket. And then in return, the other guy gave the other guy like an iPad. And then that guy was like, oh no, here's a car. And then that guy was like, oh dang, here's an elephant. And it was just this back and forth thing because I think it's like really relatable to us that we don't want to be in debt to somebody else. When somebody does something for us, we immediately want to turn around and say, I have to pay you back for this because you did something nice for me. And that's how relationships work. Relationships are transactional. And the story just goes on and on and on. And finally, like, the room that they're in is like filled with all this stuff basically from like winning the prices right and they're exhausted and broke because they feel like they've had to like pay each other back and I think sometimes that's how we can view our relationship with God it's out it can be outside the scope of our understanding to say the God who is so open-handedly generous with me I need to give something in return I need to try to give something that will begin to be what can be an equal measure to that. And as Brett was talking this morning about how Jephthah entered into a transactional relationship with God, it really came something in my own spirit, and I wrote down, what are the ways that I'm still, what are the things that I'm still doing that show that I'm falling back on my misunderstanding of what it looks like? And I want to ask you that as well as you're filling out your connection card. What are some of the things that you're still doing that show that you may be falling back sometimes into a misunderstanding of what it looks like to honor God? Jephthah vowed to sacrifice his daughter, which is not what God was looking for. He's not looking for a sacrifice of his daughter. He was just looking for Jephthah to serve him with his whole heart. We mistakenly substitute that is simply just looking to be in relationship with us with what can I give you because we're transactional people we relate to that so as we fill out our connection card it's kind of a two-parter what are some of the things that you're still doing that show that you may at times be falling into a misunderstanding of what it looks like to honor God and now what does it do for you to be released into understanding that we're not meant give back to God equally what he gives us? How does that offer you freedom to know that nothing you could do could outgive what God gave you? That he gives it to you freely. There's so much freedom in that. And so this morning there's a section on your connect card where you can write down a prayer request or a thought if you'd like to. Go ahead and respond to that question. We're going to go ahead and fill out our connection cards this morning. Uh, be found at nlcchurch.com slash connect. If you're new with us this morning, please fill that out. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know that you were here to say thank you for being here this morning. If you already go to this church regularly, you know that this is part of our, our rhythm, of our habit of just checking in with each other. The, the prayer request spot is for you. There's some things on that card that you can sign up for. The women's, cook, the women's chili cook-off is on there. But we've also got some fun things like water baptism. That's coming up really soon. We've got some people who have already taken the class and are ready to be baptized. If you want, if you've recently declared that you're a follower of Jesus or have recommitted yourself and you want to make a public statement of water baptism, check that box. We'll get you connected with that class because we want to see you up here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, 
All right, let's go ahead and pray as we close out this service. Will you stand to your feet with me? There's a move of God in this place this morning. From worship to the word that was brought, I believe God did work in this room. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you have met us in this place this morning. We thank you that you made your presence known. We thank you for your generous love, oh Lord. We thank you. We thank you so much, God, that you don't call us to try to meet, meet what you've given us because we never could. That your grace and love is abounding and free for us. That we live in that and that we walk in that knowledge. What freedom we have knowing that you love us that tremendously. God, I pray that as we go from this place, we would reflect that freedom and that love that we live in. Lord, that people around us would be drawn to know you because we walk understanding who we are and the confidence that we are your children. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you at midweek.